Welcome to Advance with MUSE Health. I'm your host, Erin Spain. This show's mission is to help you find ways to preserve and optimize your health and get the care you need to live well. MUSE Health is known for taking care of patients with high-risk or complex heart conditions using the latest innovations and technologies. Dr. Armand Killich, a cardiac surgeon and director of the Heart Failure and Heart Transplant Program, is here to talk about how MUSE Health is helping more people across the state survive life-threatening heart conditions such as heart failure and more. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Heart disease is South Carolina's second leading cause of death. In 2019, more than 10,000 South Carolinians died from heart disease. Tell me what's contributing to these deaths. Heart failure is really a spectrum of disease and ranges in severity, but it is an incredibly common ailment that affects uh, Americans and people across the globe. In the United States, there are 5 million individuals who have congestive heart failure. And when we talk about the spectrum and sort of the uh, most severe cases, which we term advanced heart failure, there's an estimated about 250,000 patients that could probably benefit from either a heart transplant or a ventricular cyst device, which are the surgical therapies that we can offer for the most severe forms of heart failure. So given the life-threatening nature of these conditions with heart failure, what types of conversations do you have with your patients about these treatment options? For example, is quality of life more important than living as long as possible? Do they want to receive aggressive treatment? Tell me about those conversations. Well, similar to any time that we're considering open heart surgery, which is a very big deal for patients and their families, you know, there is a conversation that's really custom fit and individualized for that particular patient and for their family and their individual wishes and desires. And that can range uh, depending on the individual. But those are absolutely metrics that are discussed, including quality of life. You know, it's not infrequent that with some of these major operations and high-risk procedures that conversations about things like the need for dialysis or a tracheostomy or things where patients may have longer lengths of stay in the intensive care unit and longer recoveries are all things that are discussed up front with the patient and with the knowledge that without some of these therapies, the risks of mortality and limited quality of life are very, very high without receiving some of these therapies, which may give them a a chance at uh, a normal life. Let's talk about some of these therapies and what sets the heart failure and heart transplant program at MUSE Health apart from other programs in the area and in the U.S. I would say that we are a uh, premier heart failure center. We have a multidisciplinary team that consists of uh, multiple members in the heart failure cardiology group, as well as several cardiac surgeons. It also includes a huge staff that includes advanced practitioners, nurses, coordinators, students, fellows. I mean, really, a really a big team that takes care of these complex patients who have advanced heart failure. And I would say what sets us apart is... One is that we are a very high-functioning and collaborative team that works very well together, very capable team that is able to offer the latest and innovative care to patients. And our philosophy is that when patients come to us, we are able to offer something. That's not always surgery. Sometimes that's a consultation or a second opinion where it may entail adjusting their medications or getting them on optimal medical therapy for their advanced heart failure. It may also involve a discussion about surgical therapy, such as temporary mechanical support devices for patients who are in shock or in acute 
heart failure, also durable therapies such as ventricular assist devices or heart transplants. We are as a program, uh, a top 10 program when it comes to the volume of cases that we're doing in the country. So we are a top 10 heart transplant program and we're a top 10 ventricular assist device program. And our combined volume is somewhere around 90 to 100 of those cases a year, which is a high volume center. Outcomes are also excellent. We have had several designations for the quality of care that we can provide. And that really, again, is a testament to the entire team and the multidisciplinary effort and the care of these patients. And then finally, from an academic and innovation standpoint, you know, we published over 170 peer-reviewed papers last year just in the heart failure space, which is probably the busiest uh, in the country, to be quite honest, as, as a group. And we're also always looking to push the envelope with clinical trials or with outcomes research. And we're very busy on the academic side as well. And so patients who may have very complex healthcare needs and may not be a candidate for traditional therapies like a transplant or a ventricular assist device, there are often clinical trials that we can have a discussion about that we're involved in and so that we may be able to offer some innovative therapies as well. That's great. And you mentioned some of these therapies and devices by name. Let's deep dive into a couple of those a little bit and describe them to the audience. Mechanical circulatory support. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so there are several options for mechanical circulatory support. And what that means as a general term is that we're using a device that allows the heart to rest and it sort of takes over the function of what a normal heart would do. And it allows, you know, blood perfusion to the vital organs of a patient, you know, their brain, their limbs, their uh, liver, their kidneys. And, and so these are devices that allow the body to receive blood flow when the heart is failing. And so again, there is a spectrum of devices that are used and we use all of these devices. So things like an intraortic balloon pump, a tandem heart, a Impella device, whether that's an Impella CP or an Impella 5.5. And these are all devices, again, that are inserted in different ways. Some of them are percutaneous, which means that we use a needle stick whether it's an artery in the groin or sometimes the axillary artery, which is an artery that runs under the collarbone or the clavicle. And we're able to, with sort of these peripheral percutaneous insertion options, able to put devices in in a very minimally invasive way that's not a big procedural burden to the patient and allows them to sort of recover as we get them optimized for a bigger operation. And then it also, when we talk about devices, then sometimes we do talk about durable devices or, or devices where the patient can leave the hospital with it. And there have been patients who survived 10 plus years with some of these devices. And these are durable left ventricular cyst devices. Now that does entail an operation, but at MUSC, we're able to offer minimally invasive options for insertion. And that has become our preferred approach so what that entails is rather than opening the uh, breastbone in its entirety, we just open a small portion of it and then make an incision on the side and go through the chest to implant these devices. We have found anecdotally that patients recover much quicker when we do the minimally invasive approach. And some of their outcomes we do believe are, are improved, including rates of right heart failure, blood product utilization or transfusion requirements. So in general, the, the operations tend to be less bloody. And if they do eventually go to get a transplant, we have found that the technical complexity of the transplant is generally reduced when you're going into a patient who's had it, their ventricular assist device implanted via mi minimally invasive way. You were talking about this ventricular assist device, and people may be a little aware of this category of technology because of pacemakers. So can you compare a little bit how a device like this compares to a pacemaker? 
Pacemakers are, you know, excellent pieces of technology that have been used for years. Actually, a large majority of our patients will have a pacemaker in at the time of either a ventricular assist device or a heart transplant. The pacemakers are a procedure when they're inserted. So surgeons are no longer re required for insertion of pacemakers. They're typically done by proceduralists and cardiologists, and they're typically placed under the collarbone, right under the skin, or placed in the chest wall. And those pacemakers allow the patient to potentially recover some degree of their heart function when their heart rhythm is better controlled from the device. The devices we talk about, again, we do have some temporary device support options that may be less invasive to the patient, but can allow them to perfuse their body. But those are, again, temporary devices. They can't leave the hospital with those devices. And when we talk about the durable devices like the ventricular assist device, that requires an operation. So in that way, it is different from the pacemakers. I want to back up a little bit and talk more specifically about heart failure. Tell me about the different types of heart failure. Heart failure comes in several forms. Patients can present in multiple ways. There's acute heart failure, which can happen to patients who've never been to the hospital before. Or they may have, not, have no known history of heart failure or chronic heart failure. So patients who've known they've been in heart failure, whether that's for days, weeks, years, decades. And in terms of the causes of heart failure, there are several different causes of heart failure. The two major causes are what's called ischemic cardiomyopathy, which is heart failure that exists in patients who have known coronary disease or blockages in their heart vessels. Non-ischemic cardiomyopathy is a little bit more of an umbrella term that relates to patients who do not have coronary blockages or heart vessel blockages, but have heart failure and failing hearts. There are also other less common causes of heart failure. This would include things like hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, where the walls of the heart are very thick, and over time, this leads to heart failure. There's also peripartum cardiomyopathy. This would be women who are around the time of pregnancy who can develop heart failure. And there's also congenital heart disease, so patients who were born with congenital heart defects. And many of these patients are now living into adulthood. And some of these patients over time, uh, whether they've had surgery, one surgery, multiple surgeries, or never had surgery, we do find sometimes develop heart failure and need consideration for advanced surgical therapies for their heart failure. In terms of the symptoms, typically heart failure will present with patients who have swelling in their legs or in their bellies, which is from fluid retention, because as the heart becomes less and less able to pump blood in a forward manner, things back up and get congested. So the lungs can congest, there can be shortness of breath, and you can get swelling again in the legs or in the, in the abdominal wall. You mentioned different ways that heart failure can present. For some people, it's genetic. They're born with it. It's congenital, maybe something that happens during pregnancy. But in some individuals, heart failure could be prevented. Tell me about some of the ways that people can lower their risk of developing heart failure. Yeah, I mean, heart failure comes in so many different forms, and each of them will have its own set of risk factors that, honestly, I think the most important thing is to make sure you're plugged in with a health professional. And that's not just your primary care physician or a uh, primary cardiologist. But at some point, as the heart failure, once it's identified that it exists and it's followed, and you have follow-up visits that are set up with either your primary care or your cardiology specialist, we do always emphasize that as the severity increases, really to get plugged in with an advanced heart failure cardiologist early in the process. Advanced heart failure cardiologists are cardiologists by training, but they have subspecialty expertise and experience in treating patients specifically who have advanced heart failure. And they can do a lot of things that can prevent the progression of heart failure, including titrating medications, frequent follow-ups, ordering the correct tests, 
and getting you plugged in with the right other specialty or consulting services to make sure the entire body is taken care of. As you would imagine, as the heart fails, other organ systems can fail too. For example, the kidney, and you can go into renal failure or kidney failure over time. And so getting sort of comprehensive care, knowing that the primary problem is heart failure is very, very important. And I think the best way to do that is really to get plugged into the specialist pretty early on. The technology continues to improve and change for these mechanical circulatory support devices. Tell me what has changed in recent years and what you're able to offer people now. I think this is actually a very exciting time for the ventricular assist device community. There have been parallel improvements both in the technology, so that's the actual devices. Currently, there is one commercially available device that is implanted throughout the country and throughout the world. And this is a device where the design is actually what's called the magnetically levitated pump design. So what that entails is that there's very limited interaction of the patient's blood with the device. So the compatibility of these devices with the patient are much, much better so that you don't get a lot of clots that form in the devices and so forth. And we're seeing that with much, much better outcomes now where patients not only have better survival, but the complication profile is reduced, meaning the risk of stroke, pump failure or pump stoppage because of clots and so forth are much, much better with these newer devices. In addition to the devices and the technology, our management of patients has improved tremendously over the last few years. As a community, we've become much more comfortable of treating patients and managing patients who have ventricular assist devices. And as we build our collective experience in taking care of these patients, and as we do studies on the research front and we learn more and we identify risk factors and things in management that have an impact on outcomes, we're able to optimize our care much better. And we're seeing that directly translate into patient outcomes, which are getting much, much better with each year that goes by. There's also a new cardiogenic shock program here at MUSC Health for severe heart failure. You are leading this effort to create a statewide shock program. Tell me about this. First of all, tell me about cardiogenic shock and what this program aims to do. Cardiogenic shock is one of the most severe forms of heart failure. It typically is an acute process, meaning patients come in and they're very, very sick and they require being in the intensive care unit. It can, again, take multiple forms. The two most common settings where patients develop cardiogenic shock are either with an acute heart attack or patients who have known heart failure, but then have sort of an acute on chronic decompensation. And those are the two populations typically where we see uh, cardiogenic shock. Again, it is a very lethal disease. It's got a 50% mortality rate. And part of that is it's very difficult to diagnose and identify patients early who are in the shock process. Secondly, they require very hands-on, very high-level and complex decision-making. Many of the times they will require very quick escalation of mechanical support to support their heart, heart function. And that's to, again, provide blood flow to their vital organs, allow their heart to rest and so forth. And so this is a problem actually nationally where the outcomes have been very, very dismal for cardiogenic shock. And in this effort, there have been lots of programs that have been looked to develop what we call a hub and spoke model, which is, you know, you're really talking about central, uh, highly specialized quaternary care hospitals that support multiple peripheral hospitals, where if patients who are in cardiogenic shock come to a peripheral hospital, there's a means of communication and discussion of these patients and appropriate transfer to higher levels of care early in the process to optimize their odds of a successful outcome. 
Also, many of the times these patients will require bridging or eventually being treated with another therapy like a heart transplant or a durable ventricular assist device. And so it's nice to have those patients transferred early to centers that can provide those therapies. In South Carolina, we're in a little bit of a unique geographic infrastructure in that MUSC is the only center in the state that performs heart transplants. And we're one of two centers that performs durable left ventricular assist device placement. So for us, even if it's a quick phone call from a center to ask us, is this a patient a candidate for a transplant, for example, or can you give us your opinion on how you'd want to treat or support this patient? We're always looking to engage with the community and with other providers throughout the state and to provide whatever level of support is needed to, indiv to manage individual patients or to manage patients, you know, in cardiogenic shock. And we've made a lot of progress, I would say, in the last year where we formalized this process, including a formalized patient management algorithm that's been agreed upon in really a multidisciplinary way by interventional cardiologists, cardiovascular intensivists, heart failure cardiologists, cardiac surgeons. And now as a service, what we offer to referring physicians and to referring centers is a conference line where physicians can activate what we call a shock team. And what that entails is all of these various clinical providers in these various clinical domains get on the conference call very quickly within a few minutes and can provide a consensus opinion on each of these cardiogenic shock patients, including facilitating transfer if it's uh, appropriate. So this could be in the middle of the night. A center 200 miles away may call this line and you guys are ready to answer? It's 24-7. You know, as a multidisciplinary premier advanced heart failure group, again, our message that we want to send to both providers and clinicians across the state and throughout the region, but also to patients, is that we're here as a resource and we're here to really offer something to the patient. So if the patient has complex, high-end care or second opinions, things like that, we're always here to just help support whatever it is we can do to give patients, you know, their desired outcome. And that may be different for different patients or for different families. There may be different capabilities at various hospitals throughout the state. But as really the, the state's only heart transplant center, we are looking to support the community, support the state, and really do whatever we can and bring our collective expertise across the various clinical domains to, to offer the most we can for South Carolinians and beyond. What do you do to optimize your health and live well? I do think sort of disconnecting and, and doing some reflecting and easing your mind and whether that's meditating, yoga, taking a walk and just disconnecting as much as you can, I think is very helpful. And I, I certainly try to do some of those things. It ultimately, I think, translates into being able to perform at your highest level. And so I think those things are very, very important. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. For more information on this podcast, check out advance.musehealth.org.